0: Good morning, City Bible Church. Whether you're here or joining us online, uh, we want to welcome you or here in downtown Los Angeles, this beautiful city. Uh, it is our, it is the grace of God and our divine privilege to be here, to, um, to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world and to declare the praises of our God here in the open air of Los Angeles as well as to his church. And so we're glad that you guys are here. Uh we are going to return today back to our series called Life and that is a series that we began in September of 2021 last year about 5 months ago. And uh we had completed first John. Uh today we're going to look at the book of second John. Tomorrow next week we're going to look at the book of third John and that will conclude uh, this particular series on life. And after that, we're going to start a new book in the New Testament. And so if you have your Bibles, I um, want to encourage you to turn to Second John right now. And as you turn there, I'm going to say a word about uh, what the topic is going to be about. Uh, the main point of this sermon is that as we look at Second John, John encourages God's people to walk in God's truth. That God's people walk in God's truth and stay away from the lies of the world. That's the main point. This uh, short epistle is one of the shortest books in the New Testament. And John is going to encourage his people and uh, the uh, particular woman that he's writing to and her children, to walk in the truth. There's a contrast that is going on here that's very relevant to us today, which is the contrast between walking in the truth of God's commandments and staying away from false teaching and false teachers. That is the contrast that John is going to bring out in this short letter. And before we get into this, um, I want to say a word about why this is important to us today. Why the theme of God's people walking God's truth, staying away from those who um, promote lies and lies of the world. Why that's important to us today in 2022. Um, this is important to us for a few reasons. We live in a world where there's a lot of falsehood. There's a lot of lies that you come across. And we know over the past couple of years that wherever you stand on COVID, whatever you believe or don't believe on that, there are plenty of people who look at this topic and say, there's false teaching. There are false lies. Those people are not telling me the truth. Whatever side you're on, there's plenty of people on both sides that that believe that. Uh, there are plenty of people over the past few years, especially, that have been looking at the world of politics and saying, oh, that person's lying, that person's a false teacher, that person is cannot be trusted. There are people in this world who are saying, uh, looking at the financial world and saying, oh, those people, financial people can be trusted, those people cannot, those investments are right, those investments are not. Who do we believe? Uh, there's all kinds of falsehoods that we are aware of in our world. Uh, but those are not the most important falsehoods that we're talking about today. It's not so much that God is saying to us, uh, I want you to separate the truth from the lie from politics, COVID, or any other worldly kind of uh, topic. But the topic is really to separate the truth from the lie in terms of spiritual truth and spiritual lies. Uh, We live in a world today that does not like the idea of authority. We don't like the idea that there is one God who has revealed his truth through one book and who has actually given us commands. There's something about the human spirit that wants to rebel against that. That wants to say, I am my own truth. My own truth is the higher truth. My truth is to... Uh, be myself. My truth is to express myself. My truth is to reinvent myself. My truth that I live by is not coming from one authority through one book to give me commands that I am expected to obey. That's the world that we live in. And so, John is going to talk about the importance of Christians who are called out of the world, out of that type of world who find joy, who find life, who find it desirable, who willfully choose to want to obey God's commandments because they believe that it is the truth. That because they believe this is right, because they believe that this is the way to true spiritual life. And because They have come to realize that the alternative narrative, the alternative truth, the alternative commands that the world offers to us is the lie. That is who we are as Christians. When you choose to call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, when you choose to be part of a church, when you choose to say the Bible is the highest form of truth, what you're saying is that I have chosen to believe that God is, is lord and his commands have authority over my life that god alone has the authority to demand my allegiance that's what we're saying as christians john is going to talk about the importance of discerning from the truth from the lie obeying god's commands and recognizing those who purport lies now I think something else has to be said about falseness, false teachings, and false teachers. Oftentimes, for most Christians, unlike in biblical times, in biblical times you'd have these churches where people would kind of walk in and and lead people astray from within the church, and that definitely exists today. Okay, You can have people walk in off the street and start to teach false religions or worldly lies, worldly philosophies from within the church uh, with people right in front of you. That definitely happens to this day. It happened more in biblical times in the sense that people would just kind of be there face to face. What we have today in the 21st century is we have false teachings and false teachers that, yes, come into the church physically. But I think in 2022, um, our false teachings and false churches often more come to us through our, the digital spaces. Through what we're learning online. The videos that we're watching. The media that we're consuming. Are all inundating us. With a type of teaching of the world. And it is in that respect. The false teachers that were face to face. That John is speaking about in that context. While still existing today. I think are more prevalent. In our exposure. To the teachings that we expose ourselves to uh, in the digital spaces because we have access to anyone, anywhere. Um, I, I saw on my social media feed recently, there is a young man who used to go to our uh, church when I pastored in downtown Long Beach. Uh, he was a film major. He was pursuing the Lord. I went to a senior project uh, when he was graduating Long Beach State um, and just had a, a really good uh, film that promoted you know, a wholesome form of entertainment amidst all of the darkness that was being shown that night at, at the at the senior project night. And he recently post went online and he posted that he no longer identifies himself as a man, but as a woman. And now he's going to make a movie about that journey. Now, that's a form of teaching. What he's saying on social media, that's a form. His movie, when it comes out, is going to be a form of teaching, a false teaching. Uh, one of the things that I, I do with uh, Darcy now, who's um, a little bit older and who's uh, 14 years old, and I'm starting to do this with Keen, uh, you know, when you have kids that are younger, you kind of just tell them, obey what is being said in the word of God just because it says it and obey what I'm saying to you as your parent just because I said it. Why are you going to do it? Why do you need to do this? Because I said so. You know, and you you say that to young children. As children get older, you still say those things as parents. And you still say that about the word of God. You should obey because it says so. But I'm also starting to do this with my children. I say, why? Why does this say this? You know, when we look at these programs that are teaching us something, when we look at media, when we look at the movies, how do we interpret this biblically about what is true and what is false? And so that's what John is going to be doing here in Second John um, let's stand together and we'll read second John, all 13 verses. John writes this in verse one, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace and mer- and mercy and peace will be with us from God, the Father, and from Jesus Christ, the Father, Son, in truth and love. Verse 4, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love. That we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should also walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver, the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Verse 12. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk to you face-to-face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, as we learn from John this morning, may you renew our commitment to obeying the truth and to recognizing the truth from the lie, to having the uh, spiritual discernment, and courage to uh, encourage those who are walking in the truth and in love, but also to separate ourselves from those who are not and teaching and leading others astray so that we may honor you. And so bless our time together in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, you now have a seat. Thank you. So we're looking at the topic of God's people walking God's truth and staying away from those who teach uh, the lies of the world. This is an enormous theme for the Apostle John, that God's people walk according to his commandments. When you go back to First John, which we have spent several months in, no less than seven times in the epistle of First John, John talks about how those believers who obey God's commands know him, abide in him, love God, and love the church when you follow God's commands. John, who's writing this, as you remember, he says in verse 1, he says he's the elder. I'm going to go through this sequentially, so I encourage you to look at the passage as we go through it. He says in verse 1 that he's the elder. That's a reference to him. John, at this point in his life, is uh, maybe about 90 years old. So he's certainly older than almost everyone that he's writing to. Uh, when he's writing First John, most um, scholars believe that this was written maybe around 90 AD. So this is probably around 60 or so years after uh, Jesus Christ walked on this earth and went to the cross and was resurrected and ascended back into heaven. When John says that he's an elder, he would have had a vast amount of ministry experience. He would have been an elder at the church at Jerusalem. He would have been an elder at where he's writing from and to, which is at Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. And he would have been there probably for decades by the time he writes this as a pastor. Uh, John would have most likely had a ministry throughout the seven churches of the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter two and chapter three, the seven churches that are mentioned in those chapters throughout Asia Minor, which are near which Ephesus is one of them in that geographic area. Uh, he would have had a ministry in the future in the island of Patmos um, when he is exiled there as well, and he writes the book of Revelation. So John is in every way an elder. He uh, raised up other godly men, Polycarp, um And as well as others, Irenaeus, uh, we're all connected to his discipleship in some way or another throughout church history. And he says, he's the elder, and he's writing to, in verse 1, the elect lady and her children. It's best to take this as he's actually writing to an actual woman and her children. But he says, elect lady. Now, elect does not mean that she's some special queen or held up in high esteem. uh, And that's why she's this elected person. He's talking about election, the doctrine of election, that this woman is a believer, but that she's been elected, chosen, predestined by God as all other believers have. Uh, the theme of election is an enormous theme in the gospel, uh, with the, um, uh, the disciples like Luke, Paul, Peter, John as well. John here. They all talk about the theme of election, that God has chosen people to save. He's predestined them. He foreknew that he was going to do this, and he's chosen them. And so John says here that she's elect, and he loves her through Christ, uh, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also he loves all of those who are in the truth. He says... That you are in the truth, that you know the truth, and that the truth in verse 2 abides in you and all of us will be forever. So that's a main theme, again, in Second John, walking in the truth. Verse 3, John gives his standard greeting. It's really a standard greeting throughout the New Testament. He says, grace, mercy, and peace be with us all from God the Father, Jesus Christ the Father, Son, and truth. And love. Uh, when John says this in verse three, he's talking about God's grace that God has given you and I unmerited forgiveness, love, and holiness. That's a standard greeting of the New Testament writers. He says, mercy. God has forgiven us of our sins. And God, may God have uh, his peace upon us that he has reconciled us to himself to make, make peace with us. And now he goes into it in verse four. He says that he rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we are commanded by the Father. He says several times, uh, two times in verse six, as you skip forward, that, um, people are walking in the truth. He's not writing, verse 5, a new commandment. This is a, a commandment that Christians have had since they became a Christian. Certainly, it's uh, based on the Old Testament where we are to love one another. But this is not a new commandment. It's an old commandment that we walk in the truth. And as we walk in the truth, verse 5, we love one another. And I want you to notice in verse 4 through 6 a few things. Number one is that truth determines the boundaries of love. Truth determines the boundaries of love. We're walking in the truth. And in verse five, we therefore love one another. Truth comes before love. A lot of times people look at the church and they think, you know, love is the highest virtue. Uh, I suppose there's love for God and love for others. That's true. But it is really truth. Because truth informs what type of love for God is true. Truth informs what type of love for others is really true. Otherwise, we as human beings, we tend to just define love in whatever way we want outside of the truth. Truth determines the boundaries of love. Truth determines the boundaries of unity. And so that's why John emphasizes the truth first. Because you cannot know what love looks like unless you know the truth. You cannot know what is not loving unless you know the truth. And he also, in verse 4 through 6, emphasizes that we are to walk in the truth. He says we are to walk in the truth a couple of times in verse 6 as well as verse 4. I think there's about three times he mentions that in those three verses. We are to walk in the truth. The truth is something that is active. Follow me on this. The truth, our understanding of the truth does not move. Truth does not move. Truth has already been established. Truth is already a revelation by God. Truth does not change. But we move towards the truth. The truth does not move. So when we walk in the truth, it does not mean that as we discover the truth, the truth is always changing. What it means is that the truth has already been revealed. We are now walking towards it or we are walking away from it. And that's very important, you guys, because, you know, there's a pastor that I used to know in Long Beach. And uh, he started a church and then kind of folded. And then he went away to the Midwest. And uh I actually he went away to uh, the uh to um the northeast, became a pastor there, and then he became a lead pastor at a church in the Midwest. It's um one of the most well known uh big churches in the country that's actually false. And I was watching the um the video of him being called to be the senior pastor there. And uh, one of the elders was saying, yeah, we really like this guy because of his commitment to um, narrative theology. Which meant we liked him because nar- what narrative theology is, is the idea that truth is always changing. That there's a narrative that we impose on the Bible. And that narrative kind of changes as our story changes And our story and the narrative of scripture kind of combines together into these new truths. And it's this narrative story that kind of ebbs and flows that truth changes. And there are many people that teach that, that believe that, that the truth is kind of open. It's changing. It's progressing. It's evolving in the scriptures. That's not true. What the New Testament writers and Jesus talked about was that God has revealed his truth. He has declared his truth. Our job as Christians is to inter- is to understand that truth that God has revealed and then to align our lives around that, to walk in it and to obey it. It's not to change it. So when he says we are to walk in the truth, it is us walking towards truth. It is not truth walking ar- around in some random walk. And so he's, he emphasizes and he, he rejoices that God's people are walking in the truth. One of the uh, things that brings me the greatest joy in this church is when I find out people are walking in the truth. I I I want you guys to make friends at this church, and um, I want you to I want you to be a force for good in the world. But nothing is more important to me than when you can obey the commandments of the Lord. Because I know that that is a sign that you are saved, that the life of God is in you. I know that when I meet Christians who are willing to obey the commandments of God, they have made one of the greatest leaps in Christian maturity um, away from the world. Because the world is telling you all of the time Uh, No one should tell you what you should obey. It's solely up to you to determine that. And when I find Christians that are actually obedient and say, I love to obey. I love to obey God's commands. I love to walk in the truth. It's life-giving. I rejoice in that. Um, I know that I'm doing my job as a pastor when I see that. Now, it doesn't mean we're perfect. We all struggle. But do you rejoice Verse 4, greatly, when you find other Christians walking in the truth. Verse 7 through 9. But now he's contrasting that rejoicing in walking in the truth. And he's actually giving a warning in verse 7 through 9 about false teachers and those who promote lies. And he says in verse 7 through 9, many deceivers have gone out into the world. And he says, they don't confess the coming of Jesus Christ. These people are deceivers, antichrists. Verse 8, he says, watch yourself so that you don't lose what we have worked for. You may win a full reward. He's not talking about, in verse 8, losing the reward of your salvation. He's talking about all that we have worked for. John saying, all that I and you have worked for in Christian service. In making disciples, we don't want it to go for naught. Verse 9, whoever goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God, but whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Now, what's going on here in verse 7 through 9? There's several things going on. Number one, in verse 7 through 9, John is reminding this woman that, False teachers are dangerous. They're dangerous. John would have been fully aware of the false teachers that Paul came across throughout his missionary journeys in the book of Acts. John would have been aware of the false teachers at Ephesus. Lorraine and I have been to Ephesus uh two years ago, and right in the middle of the city, there's this, still the ruins of this huge temple to Artemis that's talked about throughout the book of Acts. And you could tell that, you know, everywhere, you know, when they're walking, they're seeing this goddess, and and Ephesus was kind of this city that would attract a lot of people from all different um Places in, the, in, in that area. And so you'd have all these people coming in to worship this goddess. John would have been very aware of deceivers influencing the church. False teachers are dangerous. Jesus said that they steal, kill, and destroy. They want to steal, kill, and destroy believers. Paul said to the Ephesian elders... He described false teachers as savage wolves who will not spare the flock. He said there will be certain men who will come into the church and their goal will be to destroy the church. Paul wrote to Timothy that false teachers can shipwreck your faith. He wrote to Titus that false teachers bring division into the church. The Apostle Jude said that false teachers, their destiny is eternal fire and utter darkness. Um, You and I were here this morning in downtown Los Angeles. And um, just even within this geographic area, you know, if you were to just draw a line and just go around in a circle within a few miles of here, there are many False teachers in this area. I can list this, them off specifically, but I, I know of two gatherings in within a couple, a few miles of here that deny the inspiration of Scripture. They just see it as um, a book of stories and and morals, but not the message of salvation. Two groups that meet meet here on Sunday mornings around this area. Um, I know of another. Um uh, few congregations out in this area that will say, you know what, there is really no difference between male and female in terms of who ends up with one another. Several of them in this area. There are others in this area that uh, will teach you that there's no afterlife. That really what you should be doing with your life is just coming to a place of supreme peace through your times of meditation. And so there in just in this area are many people being influenced by what John would call deceivers who have gone out into the world. And these people are dangerous. Uh, And what is happening here is John is reminding the believers that are reading this that it's important to have uh, an elder in your life. Remember, John says in verse 1, he's the elder. And he's writing to this elect lady and her children. But certainly there's probably going to be other people that read this at some point. And what John is doing as a pastor is he's saying I, as an elder, I, as a pastor, am making a discernment call to remind you of what a false teacher is like. And you know what? You need that too. I have needed that throughout my Christian walk. Other Christian uh, pastors who I respect, who have mentored me either closely or from afar, uh, we all need that as Christians. You need someone in your life that you look up to spiritually, that you can see as kind of an elder in the faith, that you respect for their knowledge of Scripture and their application of it and their discernment. You need those people in your life. Why? Because just as John the elder is speaking to this lady and her children, he he's an elder speaking that, making a discernment call to say, This is what false teachers are like. This is how you can recognize them. And so this is the consequences of not applying this and not recognizing the threat that they pose in your life. You need that in your life too, as well as do I. Um, Because sometimes we listen to, you know, whoever we're listening to online, or we get exposed to certain teachings, and we listen to it, and you know, the, the hardest type of false teaching and deceiver to discern is not necessarily the deceiver that comes out and just says, God does not exist, burn this book, um, people were just an illusion. Those people are obvious. I mean, they're just crazy. The harder person to discern, the harder deceiver is the person who says half of the right things, but then they mix it with error. Because then it really requires that you know the scriptures. It really requires that you have discernment. Because you, you sit there and you listen to these people and go, well, that's kind of right. You know, they say that God exists. They say that love is important. Yeah, I'm with that. I'm with that. And so there's this truthful error that's in there mixed in. And just as John is reminding this elect lady, he goes, here's how you tell, and here's the discernment. We need that in our lives. Sometimes you have to go to someone and say, you know what, I'm not really sure about this. Um, can you give me your thoughts or opinions? What do you think about this teaching? What do you think about this, this uh, teacher? And you need to have a pastor and an, an elder in your life to help you along in that path. When people come to me and they say, they email me or send me a link, what do you think? Uh, I usually say one of three things. You know, I'll listen to it or read it. And I come back and I say, number one, you know what? This is a good church. That That's a good teacher. I really like what they said, you know. Um, and by the way, you guys, when a pastor says that to you and say, I like, you know, that article that you sent me or that sermon, it doesn't mean that they're now accountable for everything the person has ever written or said at any point in their life. Because, you know, there's no way we can look at everything. But a lot of times, I'll, if I like it and I think it's true, I'll think, yeah, that's good. I like it. Um, there's no problem with that. Or secondly, I'll say, stay away. This is bad news. And if I think that, I will say that straight out. Stay away from this person. And I'll tell you exactly why. Or other times I'll take a middle position and I'll say, you know, there's enough here to where I'm I'm not going to call them false. But I will point out that what they're saying on certain areas that may not be essential areas to the Christian faith, but there's definitely differences of opinion between me and them in terms of how we read the scriptures. I'll point that out and say, yeah, but just be aware of what they're saying on this issue or that issue. And and you got to be aware of how I think that there's some deviance there, but I'm not going to call the sweep of who they are false because there's enough of what's right there. Now, to make that distinction between good, bad, and to parse it somewhere in the middle, oftentimes you need someone like an elder in your life. And so in verse 7 and verse 9, he says, uh, these deceivers have come into the world. They don't confess Jesus Christ in the flesh. Verse 9, uh, if you go ahead without the teaching of Christ, you don't have God. If you have it, you have God. Verse 7 and 9. You know, for some of us here at this church, when we think about um, our past experiences with religion, we've been deceived, some of us. We've been exposed to some people that have not had the teaching of Christ. They've kind of gone beyond it and they don't have God. And some of you have been scarred by that. You know, I think um, there are some people that have been involved in our church over the years and they have come from backgrounds where they're exposed to cults and they were exposed to uh, maybe uh, a Roman Catholic background where they just saw a faith with Jesus as uh, performing a, a series of rituals and works. You can be Catholic and a Christian and actually a believer rather, but the whole system, there's enough that's false about it where you got to be careful, very careful about that. And uh, the teaching is off. Because you look at the teachings of Christ and it's basically just works. There's other people that have been involved in our church and they were in a foreign country. And they were exposed to a kind of a secular humanist teaching that was devoid of religion. And they escaped that and have given their lives to Christ. But they were exposed to this false teaching. There are other people in our church who in the past had been exposed to New Age teachings of mysticism, saying that you know Jesus was not really the Son of God. Jesus was just this man who encountered this nebulous spirit of the Christ consciousness that we too can experience, just like Jesus, this Christ consciousness. He discovered this mystic spirit, and they were exposed to deceivers. Uh, there's other people that have been exposed to people who have taught them to erase the distinction between male and female in our culture. And it's just a lawless teaching. At this church, at City Bible Church, the reason why we put the word Bible in our name is because we wanted to emphasize that we were raising up believers that believed in the Bible, knew the Bible, could apply the Bible. And so anytime you listen to a teaching, whether it's on social media, on your podcast, whatever that might be, or you're here here on Sundays, you want to be like the Berean church in Acts 17. You know the Bereans, right? When Paul showed up in Acacia, modern day Greece, and he started teaching them from the scriptures and about Christ, what did they do in Acts 17? It says, that they checked daily to see if what Paul was teaching was consistent with the scriptures. That's who you want to be. You want to be evaluating my teaching, evaluating the teaching, what you're listening to and saying, does this square with what I am reading in my Bible? Now, it doesn't mean that if there is a mistake that some person says that they didn't mean to say, or they wrote a wrong word, or there was this small nuance that was unclear that you then declare, "Oh, you're a false teacher. You know You're a heretic." Uh, usually, when I listen to people and I, I'm having to make a discernment call on what I think about their teaching, what I think about them as a teacher. I normally try and get exposed to more than just one sermon or one thing that they've written because I want to give them a fair shot. You know, if I hear one sermon or one teaching and it's just so outrageous what they're saying, so out of bounds, and I, don't, I probably don't need to listen to more than that. But if I'm listening to something, go, you know, I, there's something, they're, they're saying a lot of good things, but that was a little bit unclear. I'll give them a second shot. Say, okay, well, let me listen to more of their teaching before I start, you know, really coming to a conclusion. I think that's fair. Again, if they're saying something that's so out of bounds and, you know, you can just make that determine already. Uh, one of the ways that you can determine whether you're being exposed to people who are deceivers in verse 7 through 9, 7 and 9, um, is that deceivers and false teachers tend to travel in packs they tend to travel in groups okay so if you're listening to someone and you're like not really sure about their teaching one of the ways that you can determine uh, whether they're true or false is you find out who they have fellowship with because oftentimes if someone is false they'll congregate with other people who are false And then you start to look at the collective whole of who they identify themselves with, who they align themselves with. Maybe it's a denomination. Maybe it's uh, just a a group of fellowship of other teachers. And you start to look at the collective whole of who these teachers are, and then you can help make a determination. Another way you can tell if you're being exposed to a deceiver is that oftentimes people who are false teachers will not teach that there are false teachers out there. They will not teach to beware of false teachings. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes cults will be there and say, hey, you know. But oftentimes false teachers will just say, you know what? Your religion, your spirituality, this congregation is only about love. It's only about tolerance. It's only about bringing goodness into the world. And they will not warn you about the danger of false teachers. Why? It's because they are one. And they don't want you to be able to determine, oh, well, wait a minute. That's you. That's the last thing they want. And so we have to be discerning on that. And I think the other thing that the Spirit does is the Holy Spirit of truth that lives in you, if you listen to someone's teaching, over time, the, the, I think believe the Spirit will, will convict your conscience and saying, you know, what I'm hearing is just so off. What's happening is off over time because that spirit of truth will want to align itself directly with the truth of the word of God. Uh, last last uh, piece of pastoral wisdom is that uh, oftentimes false teachers, um, they will say to you, our way, our congregation is the only one. You can't leave our congregation because if you leave us, there's nobody else out there that's speaking the truth. It is us and us alone. And that's certainly not true. God has people all over the place. And he says that these people are antichrists. They don't have God. Verse 7, verse 9. Um Actually, there's one more characteristic of a false teacher I want to just highlight today, just for your own edification. You can tell deceivers by looking at their character. By looking at their character. Uh, Throughout the scriptures, Paul, Jesus, they warn of the character of false teachers. One of the things they do is they're greedy for money. They are lustful people. They are power-hungry. And they reject authority. They're greedy, lustful, power hungry, and they reject authority. And when you start to look at the character of a person and start to see common themes like that in their own personal character, not occasional struggles with it, but long standing patterns, you got to get away. And so he says in verse 10 and verse 11, and this is now uh, really an admonition, a warning to the church. In verse 10, if someone comes to you and, and you have determined that they're a deceiver, or maybe you just don't even think about it, you don't care. You just think, you know what, I just want to be a nice person. And if they're not bringing the teaching of Christ, verse 10, he says, do not, this is a command, do not receive him into your house or give him a greeting. If you greet him, if you let him into your house, if you show hospitality, you take part in their wicked works. Now, in, in biblical times, it wasn't like we have it today. We have Airbnb. We have these hotels. You know, people just go wherever, right? Back then, they didn't have that kind of stuff. Oftentimes, when you have people traveling, traveling, teachers, whether they were true or false, they would rely on the hospitality of people letting them into their homes. So this was extremely relevant. It's relevant also because that he's writing to a woman. To the elder, the elect lady and her children, verse 1. Why is that important? Because women tend to be more hospitable than men. Women tend to be more graceful, more forgiving, more compassionate than men. It's not true of every woman, but that's a generally a true statement. Women tend to be more hospitable than men. And so when he's writing to this woman, this was a very stern warning. He's saying, Look, I, I know that you're a kind woman. I know that you like to be hospitable, but you got to go against your natural inclination as a woman to be hospitable to these travelers. They show up to you, they're hungry, they're tired, they're asking for help, and you want to show them mercy. And he says, Don't let them in your door. Because if you do, and you're part you're now party to a deceiver and an antichrist, and you're going to be held accountable to that by God because people around you, well, if you have a good reputation in the community and you start letting these deceivers into your home, other people will see you and they'll be like, oh, you know, she's okay with this guy. Therefore, maybe I should be too. And so you share in their wicked work. Um, you got to stay away from false teachers. You know, when we were in downtown Long Beach, we, we actually had people walk in the door. Um, a couple of women came in one time, wanted to, us to go visit their cult in Glendale, And uh, they came to some of our gathers and then we're like noticing them talking to different people, having these long conversations with others. And I didn't notice it at first, but then when I realized it, uh, we, we had to shut that down and uh, they invited Lorraine to come out. I said, there's no way you're going. I, one of the guys in our church was like, hey, you know, I was talking with these two women and I told them, yeah, I'll go to your cult gathering. Well, he didn't say it that way, but I'll go to your thing uh, if you come to our church. And I said, that's a bad idea. Don't do that. Okay, interaction with false teachers should never be a quid pro quo. Oh, I'll go to your thing and in, in, invest in your thing if you come to mine. That doesn't work that way. You separate from them, and uh, if they want to learn the word of God, that's different, okay? Which leads me to my second example. There was a guy who came into our congregation in downtown Long Beach, and I knew exactly who he was. I knew exactly what he represented. He called himself a believer, but he led an organization that uh, was leading people astray in the worst possible ways. I'll just leave it at that. And so when he walked in the door, Um, He didn't know I knew who he was, but I did. And I went up to him in congregation and he goes, Hi, I'm so and so. I go, Yeah, I know who you are. And, um, he said, you know, I just want to check it out and, and so forth. And we had a, a short conversation. I was cordial, but I let him know, you know, kind of where we were at. And so he left. And I, I was talking to some other elders. I go, you know, I'm not sure quite what to do if he shows up, you know, because I know, I know exactly where he's coming from. And I got some really good advice from another elder. They said, Here's what you do. If this guy shows up again, and he really is there searching to know the word of God, then you should let him in. But, he said, if he comes in because you know he's a false teacher, have the elders watch him like a hawk. And if he starts spreading his false doctrine, then you got to shut that down. So that's the kind of discernment it requires as an elder to discern, how do you deal with deceivers, okay? Some deceivers want to leave their deception and find Christ, fine. But you got to be careful with that, especially if they come into the congregation. And so, um, don't welcome them. And lastly, he closes with verse 12 and verse 13. Just a closing kind of um, encouragement and parting words. Uh, he's got a lot more to write. Verse 12 He wants to use paper and ink. And back in those days, I mean, this kind of letter would have fit on one piece of papyrus. It would have been really short, this letter. And they would use ink that was a mixture of water, charcoal, like gum resin. That's how they would use ink those days. But he wants to come to her and other believers, talk to them face to face so that his joy may be complete. He wants to come back and see she's walking the truth. And uh, she may have welcomed false teachers in the past. Maybe that's why he's raising it. But she's, she's now walking in, in the truth to separate from that. And verse 13, the children of your elect sister greet you. Um, that's maybe her nieces or nephews and so forth. Uh, but John was very much involved in the life of these believers. And what I like about him, and what I'm trying to strive to be, I, I have so uh, so much to grow in. But what I like about John as a pastor is that he's committed to the truth. But he's also, um, and he's rejoicing when he sees his congregation walking in the truth. But he also rejoices when he sees them. And he loves them. And I hope to be that kind of pastor for you guys as well. And I hope you become that and grow in that as a congregation. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for um, this short time in this short epistle to be reminded that we as believers to walk in the truth that should lead us to love. But love is not undiscerning. Love is discerning. Um, Love is not hypercritical. The truth is not hypercritical, but it is discerning. And um, we live in a world where we welcome false teachers into our world through our computers, our phones, uh, maybe into our relationships. Help us to be discerning, Lord, between those who are just lost in the lie um, but can find the truth versus those who... Um, are embracing the lie and perpetrating the lie and have no interest in in wanting to follow your commands. And I know that you will bless these types of churches, Lord, that are discerning, that love to obey, that walk in the truth, and um, are wise as serpents, innocent as doves when it comes to the evil of the world. We pray that that would be the case here at City Bible Church. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.